Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing. I'm your host Manuel Feit. And I'm once again joined by my transfermarkt colleague, Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yes, very, very well. Kind of feels like we're in silly season right now with this point in the league campaign. Uh, results are just taking all leave of their absence, all absence of their uh, common sense, but it still makes it very fun and interesting to watch. Yeah, it's been interesting. And uh, I always wanted to point out, thanks for like holding up the Ford transfer market. I know you had a couple of busy days while um, I'm bumming around the western, southwestern United States. So thanks for holding up the Ford over transfer market. I'm back full time tomorrow. A um, couple of big transfers. And I think that's going to be a huge talking point today. And I always find it fascinating how the, the Bundesliga seems to completely ignore what everyone else is doing and do all their major transfers in May. Mm. Uh, at least this year, we don't have the uh, coaching carousel like we had last year, where every club basically decided to go in upheaval mode and change their head coach. Mm. Um, although it is only the beginning of May, May 3rd, so we still have an entire month of that happening, possibly. So, yeah. Uh, I think we have a lot to talk about, Stefan, and we should probably jump right into it after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join us. Use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. So yeah, buddy, um, Schlotterbeck to Dortmund, that's finally announced. I think that was the, the one big transfer story that I think a lot of people have been waiting for. Um, they've already signed Niklas Süle, and Karim Adeyemi has reportedly already agreed a five-year deal. I think they, this, this one is only hinging on the last few details to be clear with RB Salzburg. Mm -hmm. But um, Dortmund's defense, all of a sudden, and I, I did write um, a quick commentary of, for Forbes last night on this, is looking very good. And it's, I find it very interesting that all of a sudden this could be, together with Antonio Rüdiger, of course, Germany's new centre-back backline. And um, Dortmund seems to be pushing really hard from going to having almost no German national team players to really re-establishing themselves as a club that has a significant presence with Hansi Flick's team. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of this is down to the pressure that they've probably felt from the fans this season. Uh, whichever way you chalk it up, this campaign just has not been good enough from Dortmund. And I think there's a huge demand for the club to take a greater emphasis at, you know, not so much scouting and finding the next Juden Sancho or Jude Bellingham or Erling Haaland, but rather finding the next Mats Hummels or Nevin Subotic, if you want to go that far back. Um, and I think this is probably what we could be looking at here. You know, I think we've talked about this in the pod before, but if you look back at that Dortmund side that did so well under Jurgen Klopp, it had a reputation for being this exciting attacking team, but at the very core of it was two very good central defenders who knew how to play with each other perfectly well. And that was kind of what Klopp built his team on. And what I'm referring to, obviously, there's Subotic and Hummels, and maybe you can put Sebastian Kell in there as a defence midfielder too. But that's kind of always been the most important part of a team in my opinion, uh, especially in German football, where a lot of teams play gegenpressing, there's no point being able to score goals if you can't defend them. Um, and this feels like a very genuine effort to try and fix that. Um, it doesn't feel like what we saw the last couple of years where Dortmund are just splashing the cash on established stars, um, you know, whether that be Nico Schultz or Emery Chan, you know, whoever else you want to include in that, um, who have kind of, in my opinion, proved to not be worth the money. Um, but the really exciting thing here for Dortmund is not only do they have these two central defenders coming in who are you know proven to an extent, well, Nicolas Sula certainly is, Schlotterbeck has a lot of potential, uh, but they're both players who can be around for the long haul. Uh, and and they're, not, they're also not players that are probably going to cost a huge amount of money. Uh, I know Sula will probably want a huge wage, he'll probably one of the highest earners at the club, uh, but he doesn't bring with him a huge transfer fee. Um, and equally, although Schlotterbeck will cost an upfront upfront cost, uh, it's actually very relatively very little in terms of it's only twenty five million euros, and I don't think his wages will be extortionate either. So, you know, Dortmund are getting a lot of experience and a lot of potential, and potentially a stem or the spine of a team that they can rebuild uh, for not a huge amount of money. So it certainly is smart smart transfer business from them. Yeah, twenty million plus five million, right? Is the is the fee for um, Schlotterbeck. Um, I do I do find that interesting, and this is an interesting one point that I noted, that essentially the two centre-back signings um, were players that were also targeted by Bayern Munich. Obviously, Sule is a Bayern Munich player at the moment and will only be transferred on July 1st. But Schlotterbeck too, I know they're downplaying it, but Bayern Munich very much were interested in him and <laughs> tried to sign him last minute to sort of um, torpedo Dortmund's deal, right? Mm. And it is fascinating that Dortmund not only once, but twice essentially won a transfer battle against Bayern Munich, um, poaching one of their players and then signing Schlotterbeck. And I think it... There is some interesting implications there. First of all, for Dortmund, of course, the last time this has happened, where they did land a significant player from Freiburg that both teams were fighting heavily over was Sebastian Kehl. Mm. Um, and then the following year, they won the title, right? And um, Kehl, of course, is still there. He's now the sporting director. And I also wonder if there is now a sense for some of these younger German players that because of what's going on with Bayern Munich's wage structure and they're, they're seeming 
problems of, of fi spending this, that sort of money, um, whether there is a sort of sense that it would be an interesting challenge to finally end Bayern's title run, and that's why players are going to Dortmund. I know that's why Niklas Süle went there, right? And mm. um, I do think all of that is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think, I can't remember who it was at Dortmund who basically said this, but it may have been Vatska who said, you know, when he spoke to Sula, he said, winning a title with Dortmund is worth so much more than winning a title with Bayern Munich. And I think he maybe echoed something that Mats Hummels may have said as well when he joined or rejoined the club uh, once upon a time. So, you know, I think Sula in particular is the one I'm most excited about because he's obviously coming to the club at a stage in his career when he's not really looking to use Dortmund as a stepping stone. He's, he's he's obviously there for the long haul. He's there to really help the club get back on its feet, get back to the top of German football. Um, and Dortmund fans don't have to worry about him being linked to Chelsea or Real Madrid or whoever else after he has a good season. Schlotterbeck, I'm not 100% convinced on. I still think he could fall into the camp of a, you know, a Sancho or Bellingham or a Haaland, just because that's obviously the kind of potential that he has. And... If he has a couple of decent seasons at Dortmund, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does start getting seen the allure of you know a Chelsea or Manchester United. So we'll need to see what happens there. But at least in the short to medium term, it's a really impressive uh, bit of business from Dortmund. And it then poses the question: What happens to the remaining defenders? Um, you know, Manuel Akanji. I think it's probably fair to say that he'll be probably looking to leave the club this summer. Um, but the, the one that really intrigues me is Matt Hummels here. Um, Obviously, you know, he's been a great servant to the club for a long time. I thought he actually had a very good season last season. And we've actually spent a lot of time this season talking about whether, you know, he's finally lost that yard of pace or if he just hasn't been able to get over the injuries that he picked up in preseason. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to him if he does have to, if he is forced to kind of take a step back and play a more reserved role in this team, is he the kind of guy who will be modest and accept that? Or is he going to kick up a fuss if he isn't starting every week? Uh, and is Marco Rosa going to have to kind of juggle the three of them and a bit to try and keep all those egos happy? So that'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah, I find that intriguing too. I also find intriguing what's going to happen with Manuel Akanji. Yeah. Because obviously he has, he has um, options um, in England. Um, there's also... I heard this from a few sources now that Bayern Munich could be looking to sign him, right, uh, as, a, as a cheap alternative, um, you know, sort of to pull one back at Dortmund. But, yeah, it is, it is interesting what's going to happen with those two. I mean, at the end of the day, you need centre-back depth because Dan Axel Sagadu um, has been horrendous at time and is obviously not the number one, not even a candidate for... for for the starting lineup at the moment, so uh, I think like that centre back depth is important. So I could see them hang on to all four. Um, I do think it's interesting though when you look Axel Witzel, he's leaving, right? Hmm. Um, and that's a big money contract gone. And you would think that there's a few other ones that Dortmund probably want to get rid of in this in this off season just to make room for for new players because there's still a centre forward coming. Um, Assuming that Haaland's deal is now going across the line with Mino Raiola being dead, um, you know, and of course, that's that's put on hold on all those deals. Um, but they still, they stop must still need to add a, a few players. And um, I think for them to do that, they have to also get rid of some of these 
these older contracts that are basically uh, putting weight on onto on the on the wage bill, right? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the kind of thing that has stood out to me in terms of these kind of deals they are bringing in. Not only um, are they exciting, smart moves, but if you actually look at the wages that are being offered, they are. It does feel like Dortmund are kind of putting money aside. Uh, the Adeyemi one's a good example where I think his wages are well below 10 million euros a year, which, you know, just to put it into comparison, Robert Lewandowski is pushing between 25 and 30 million euros a year, you know, in terms of whether he will get a new contract this year. So it's the leaks apart here in terms of what Dortmund are offering players and what Bayern Munich are offering players. Of course, Adiemi is not anywhere near the profile of Lewandowski, so there's a reason for that. But, you know, if Dortmund do move on, three or four older players, as you mentioned, and then bring in Schlotterbeck, Adeyemi, and Niklas Sula for, you know, the combined wages of maybe just an Akanji and a Haaland, then, you know, they're doing well there in terms of recycling their money um, and, and, and getting the best out of a revenue stream, which has taken a real battering during COVID over the last two years. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I think lots still happening. Uh, as I said, Karim Adeyemi is close to being across the line and um, probably be announced pretty soon. Um, let's talk about a deal that was announced today, Stefan, and that's Thomas Müller. Are we really surprised he's renewed his contract until 2024? I mean, I think the best part about this whole contract announcement was him redoing that photo from his childhood where he was sitting <laughs> on the, the on the bed with all the Bayern gear, um, the Bayern bed sheets, the, the Bayern poster, um, you know, in, in an old Bayern Munich 19, that's a 1995-1996 jersey, by mm -hmm. the way. Jürgen Klinsmann made that famous. And I, I remember when Klinsmann signed for Bayern Munich. That was the first season that the Bundesliga had um, jersey, jersey names and numbers assigned to players. <laughs> um, and one of the main reasons for that was because Bayern Munich signed Jürgen Klinsmann and he wore number 18, right? And previously in the Bundesliga, our players were numbered 1 to 11 and you didn't have an assigned jersey number. Um, so there's a little tidbit from that jersey in that photo. But uh, <laughs> I think it's... It's. I think that was almost the most intriguing part that they chose to sort of restage his childhood photo, his famous childhood photo as a Bayern fan. I, I, it's pretty, pretty safe to say Thomas Müller will be eternally a Bayern player now. Yeah, and you know, you could maybe argue that there's very little from left to win at Bayern Munich, but um, if you kind of look at the all-time appearance holders for Bayern. He's sitting on six two four games, uh, and the record's actually currently six hundred and seventy, uh, and then in between that is all Oliver Kahn on six hundred thirty two. So he's not far off potentially becoming Bayern Munich's all time appearance holder, which is just incredible for a forward player. Um, so he does have things to work towards. Um, obviously, it, it goes without saying probably that. You know, once he hangs up his boots, he'll probably step into the administrative role at Bayern, as often happens for their, their kind of generational key players. Uh, so, you know, they just this 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 isn't surprising by any means. The only thing that maybe is quite intriguing in terms of a transfer point of view is what it means for, you know, Bayern's summer transfer window, because you know we obviously expect Manuel Neuer to sign a very similar deal, probably the exact same terms to an extent. Um, but Lewandowski obviously wants more than that. 
Um, you know, I think he's looking for a deal maybe to twenty twenty five. And obviously, Bayern Munich might not be able to offer that to him. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, just because you know, I think the club probably have the hopes of being able to give Müller, Neuer, and Lewandowski similar similar deals, similar terms. Uh, but Lewandowski, for one reason or another, maybe just thinks he deserves more than that. So, yeah, mm. this is maybe a little sign of what's to come. Yeah, we always said that um, the club will probably put Lewandowski on a back burner. There was the meeting with his agent, Pini Sahavi. Um, I think that was last week. And um, where they sort of laid the groundwork for talks. Lewandowski since has leaked to various press that he's very interested in uh, possibly leaving Barcelona um, seems to be the club rumored, but I mean the two of us always said um, the most likeliest scenario is that Bayern Munich will get Müller and Neuer done first, and then sort of go to Lewandowski and say, "Okay, look, we resigned those two for this 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 amount of money for these these terms. This is the most we can offer and the most we will offer. Take it or leave it." And I think this is where we are right now. Right now, right? I mean, this is yeah. exactly the scenario that we sort of chatted about in this podcast a few weeks ago, and this is exactly what's going on. And Neuer will probably be announced soon, and then I think Bayern will go to Pini Sahavi and say, "Take it or leave it. This is our terms. This is what we can offer. Um, if you don't like this, then we'll play one more year professionally together, and then Lewandowski can do whatever he wants in 2023." I think this is pretty much where we are right now. Yeah, without a doubt. That seems to be like the most obvious thing to me. And, you know, I think also Bayern will probably want to get these three out of the way one way or another as quickly as they can because there's obviously Serge Gnabry on the horizon who's demanding a new contract. But, you know, Bayern also have to start, they have to make some huge changes to their, their squad as well. They're in a similar situation to Dortmund, even though they have won the Bundesliga. Um, you know, their results elsewhere have suggested this team needs a lot of investment in it. I've got a feeling they probably will go out and actually spend quite a lot of money this summer. I have no stats or inside info to to, to really justify that, but I just kind of have a sneaky suspicion that Bayern have been pleading poverty for the last five or six months, and then they'll probably find some you know, 50 or 60 million euros down the back of a couch uh, to bring in the players that they need, most of them probably coming from Ajax. Um, all and, of them <laughs> yeah all of, all of them yeah uh, maybe Sebastian Haller may join them actually if Lewandowski's deal goes south but yeah Bayern have a lot of business to do this summer so I think I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Muller, Neuer and then potentially a conclusion to the Lewandowski contract negotiations before uh, the summer transfer window really kicks off yeah yeah it's all going to be very interesting. And I think we're going to spend more time talking about it as, as things develop. But I think this is pretty much where we are, where we are at right at this very moment. Um, speaking of transfers, I know this isn't, hasn't been officially announced yet, but it seems pretty much on in its final stages. And I would lie if I wasn't, wasn't surprised about this, Stefan. But Matthias Ginter had offers, had lose talks with Bayern Munich, t- chatted with Inter Milan. There was teams in Spain involved. Um, at one point, um, Barcelona and Real Madrid, right? And I know people always raise the eyebrows when Ginter gets linked to these to these teams. But, I mean, we're talking about German national team player here um, who has won a World Cup, although as a reserve player. And he's now leaving Gladbach to go back to his academy club, SC Freiburg, 
and um, this deal not announced yet, of course, but very much you know advanced. Um, Want to quote uh, uh, Patrick Berger here from Sport 1, who, who reported this first, I believe, yesterday. Um, wow, <laughs> I don't think anyone did see that coming, and it. But then, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, it makes a huge amount of sense. You know, I kind of tweeted yesterday saying that the Bayern Munich transfer rumours and, as you said, Real Madrid, and he was heavily linked with Inter last season, wasn't he? Um, maybe Inter may have made, made sense, to be fair, but Real Madrid, and in particular Bayern Munich, just never really made much sense to me. Um, I wouldn't have doubted that Ginter could have came in and done a job for Bayern, but the issue I would have taken with, with that, and I think what would have led to it, ending in tears for both parties is that the Bayern fans wouldn't have accepted him as a good enough replacement for Sula. Um, and he obviously wouldn't have been going to Bayern to get enough first time, first team minutes. So it, it would have led to a horrible situation where he's upset. He's, he's upset because he's not getting game time at the club and the fans are unhappy because he's not the player that they wanted. So, you know, I, I did kind of think, oh, that's, that's a potential disaster just waiting to happen. And as we've seen, in truth, he's been kind of working on a move back to Freiburg. Um, and it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense because he's a perfect Schlotterbeck replacement, not just in terms of his stature, but also the way he plays. You know, they're both ball-playing defenders, both very technically gifted, both good in the air. So he can really slot into that Freiburg defence just as Schlotterbeck was uh, and prove to be a great replacement. And you know the guy's only what twenty, I think, maybe twenty nine. So he's still got a huge amount of time left. This isn't this isn't like some um, former great returning to his boyhood club for the last few years of his career. You know, Matthias Ginter still has maybe five or six good years left in him in the Bundesliga. So it's a great to see Freiburg continue to, you know, go from strength to strength in terms of building up a great squad with minimal resources. Uh, Christian Strike just continues to build squads after squads after squads in that in that club, uh, and it'd be great if they can kind of get the ultimate, you know, proof of concept of what they're doing there with either a German Cup trophy or the top four finished or maybe both. Uh, that would be quite some season for for them. Uh, but yeah, really smart bit of business from Freiburg, and I think also a really smart move for Ginter as well because if he wants to continue being a German national player. If he wants to continue proving that he's one of the better defenders in the Bundesliga, then you'll struggle to find a better fit than Freiburg. Yeah, I I can only go along with what you said. Um, Freiburg. I mean, we've been both saying for quite a while now that we think that Leipzig are going to finish in that top four. And now they're in the final stages of the Europa League run. Um, one lead against against the Rangers from Glasgow, and I think that they're going to probably go through to the final. Um, on paper, at least they should. I know it's still going to be a lot of work for them in in Scotland, but it almost feels like that Leipzig, because of their focus on the Europa League, and there's now stumbling in the Bundesliga, that's really opened the doors for Freiburg to push for that top four, and. I almost feel like they now have the easiest path into that top four because they're also just 
one point behind by, by uh, three points behind by Leverkusen, who they are, of course, playing on the final match day. Of course, Leverkusen has uh, a massive uh, goal differential on their side. But uh, Stefan, like Freiburg's path to to Champions League is wide open now and completely in the top four. Um, this is this is remarkable. I I like, you know going back. I think the last time they finished third was in 1994-1995. Of course, back then it was only the uh, UEFA Cup that you would qualify for, and of course, the UEFA Cup back then was a was a big big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is potentially the best finish since then, and it could really lead to a paradigm shift for them because going into the Champions League for a club like that, that's an enormous amount of money. And um, I still think that they would probably do what they always do and, and sell some of their best players. I mean, Schlotterbeck is, is already gone to Dortmund, but it does allow them to, to further grow and invest into that infrastructure and further establish themselves as a very solid, strong Bundesliga team. Um, it just kind of feels like this is now going to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, I really wasn't expecting that Leipzig result, to be honest with you. Although I don't know why, because Gladbach have kind of turned a corner and they've been looking better and better uh, since they kind of reached mid-table. And obviously they took a point off Freiburg last weekend as well. So, you know, they've been doing well recently. And, you know, Leipzig are just beginning to look a little heavy in the legs. Um, At times, the goals they conceded on Monday night just looked so laboured. Obviously, the first one was just this bizarre deflection. The third one was just a another kind of bounce about in the box, which Gladbach were able to take advantage of. But, you know, it's really interesting to see what happens between now and the end of the season because I actually think Leipzig have the easier running. Uh, Freiburg have to take on Union Berlin, who are still doing remarkably well uh, and pushing for a Europa League spot. Um, and then they obviously have to play Bayer Leverkusen in the last game of the season, uh, which maybe Leverkusen may have already secured third place, so there might not be much to play for. But then again, this Leverkusen team are still very, very good, um, which they showed on Monday night once again. Um, and then on the on the flip side, you know, Leipzig only have Augsburg and Armenia Bielefeld, who, yeah, I know they're they're decent teams, but they are both relegation fodder to an extent. In 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 the case of the top four. So despite their poor run of form, you would kind of expect Leipzig to kind of pick up six points from those games. Uh, but whether Freiburg can, you know, pick up six points from their two games is probably a tougher task. But if they do, it then leads to a German Cup final uh, against these two sides, which would be fantastic for all to watch because there'll be a real grudge match element to it. Freiburg have already started kind of... Uh, Shall we say throwing stones around to, in in terms of what what they how how they feel about being um, pictured alongside Leipzig in the German Cup final? Shall we put it that way? Um, but yeah, you know, I said this morning actually that Leipzig's season that kind of rests on a knife edge because on the one side they could go on in the next couple of weeks and win two huge trophies for them as a club and finish in the top four, or they could see their season just completely uh, take a nosedive, and they could drop out of the top four, fail to reach the cha- the, the Europa League semi uh, finals rather, and then after all that, get dumped out of the German Cup final by Freiburg. So, you know, this is why we love football. This is why we love sports because the margins between 
hero to zero are so so small but i think we'll learn a huge amount about about this leipzig side and dominic tedesco as a manager in the next couple of weeks and it is is an interesting debate day isn't there um you mentioned the the fan gear um listen first of all half and half scars are an abomination they should be all burned in a huge, huge fire um but um I understand it. You know, there, there is this is a controversial topic for for some fans in German football um, who believe that Leipzig shouldn't exist. Um, I think there's an eternal debate in German football that, that is never going to go away between uh, clubs that are purely membership based and uh, those clubs who who have a corporate past and Leipzig are obviously one of them now. Um, and this debate goes far beyond RB Leipzig. You know, it includes Bayer Leverkusen, it includes VfL Wolfsburg, it includes uh, Hoffenheim, and, and obviously Leipzig is the latest installment of it. It's very much a part of the fragment, uh, the, 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 the foundation of German football and the history of German football that we have these clubs. And, um, and I think it's very much a part of the storyline of German football, isn't it, Stefan, that these clubs exist. Um, and I think they're always going to be part of the storyline of German football and um, I think the, the, the debate around it is a, is a good debate on itself because um, it makes things makes it makes it makes it kind of interesting how we have the sense about how German football should be constructed um, and I just wonder I just wonder why you know uh, Oh, I'm trying to trying to find the right words here for this. Um, I just wonder if we sometimes, you know, this, this raised eyebrow thing, a little bit here. Whether mm -hmm. the, whether we take it too far, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, do some clubs have the right to exist more right or to exist than others? That's the question that I'm really posing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's such an interesting debate, especially if um, you know you if you exist on Twitter and in a very constant and um, a very non-stop fashion, like a lot of us do when we consume our football, football sport and news and features and stuff. And I find it really interesting how the rise of Leipzig has kind of led to this real pushback from certain sections of the media, uh, particularly the international media, in my opinion, because it seems to be far more outspoken in the, in the English-speaking media than what I read in Kicker or Build or Sport Build. Um, I mean, I may be wrong, but I'm not reading week, weekly or monthly features in Kicker explaining why RB Leipzig shouldn't exist. Um, but... You know, everyone's obviously entitled to their opinions on these things. Um, and I think it's really important when we do discuss these things to bear in mind that, you know, German football fans come from all sorts of backgrounds. They come from all sorts of places and countries and cultures. And, you know, I think it's really dangerous to say German football fans think this or German football fans think that or, you know, that every single German football fan is against 50 or is against the abolishment of 50 plus one, because that's not true. 
Um, no, it's not. It's and, 100% not true. And there There's are very diverse opinions about this. And right. you know, and there are there are entire football clubs within German football that are at least ambivalent to the, the idea of maintaining 50 plus one, which was a ruling that was only put in place in 1999, by the way. And this is the kind of thing that I kind of find a little funny about German football. I'm, I'm going to try and word this properly so it doesn't come across as disrespect because I think everyone who listens to our podcast knows that I adore German football. But if you compare the, 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 the professional league of the Bundesliga to... Italian football, English football, Spanish football, it's its a child in terms of its, its tradition, in terms of its history. A large part of that's due to the fact of, of, German, of Germany as a nation, its own history over the course of the 20th century and how it had to reform and things like that. So, you know, there are obviously outside factors in that. And of course, German football existed long before the Bundesliga came along, but it didn't exist in a professional sense uh, until, what, 50, 60 years ago? Um, and as you made a great point earlier in the show there about how it wasn't until very recently that they even had uh, player names on the back of their shirts. And I think, it, I just think it's really important that we don't get kind of stuck in our little bubbles on Twitter and we discuss these things because I actually had a really kind of interesting conversation with someone at a Bundesliga club last week and they work for um, what would probably be described as one of the traditional clubs in the Bundesliga right now. And they're talking about RB Leipzig going on to challenge in the the Pokal. And, you know, I made the point and I was like, well, it'd be really great if they could challenge for the Bundesliga next season because it'd make things really interesting. And, you know, they looked at me like I had three eyes. And, you know, they were, they were arguing about Leipzig being this construct to sell Red Bull and, you know, how they're evil because they circumvented circumvented the rules and I, I kind of just said to them, I was like, yeah, they, they do exist to sell Red Bull, but in the grand scheme of European football, that's not really that bad. It's not as bad as what's going on in, you know, in Italy where you have Chinese investors showing up and then they just leave town a month later, leaving a club like Inter to have to sell the entire squad to pay the bills. You know, it's not as bad as Spanish football where, you know, you have the top clubs trying to pull away to form a super league and the rest of them having to sign up to some, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? A, you know, investment banking deal to kind of just to kind of eke out some extra money. Oh, and by the way, the super cup's going to be played in the middle East. No, thank nothing worth saying to the fans about that. And then of course you have England where the clubs out there, aren't or the clubs there aren't owned to sell energy drinks they're owned to legitimize you know dictators and 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 horrible regimes that behead people just for the way they live more often than not in certain cases and the whole wider topic of sports washing and my kind of point to this person was that if you if you live within the bubble of german football for your entire life or just from day to day, Monday to Friday on Twitter. Um, and, you know, that's your prerogative, then fair enough. And if you are, a, you know, if you're, a, if you're a very keen fan of clubs like Freiburg, for example, or Cologne or Dortmund or Schalke, Bochum, whoever else you want to call it, and you do, you go to these games and you sit in the tribuna and you sing the songs and, you know, you, you, you love the tradition that your club have, then you are going to be dead against what Leipzig are. But 
I kind of feel like you have to sometimes take a step back and think, well, look at the grand scheme of European football here. And is one club being owned by a Red Bull drinks company? Really the root of all evil in football at the minute, especially when the club that have just dominated German football for the last 10 years are partly owned by, you know, one or two car companies, uh, what an insurance company and whatever else you want to add. And they forced what a dozen of their fans every week to wear white overalls. So the, so the T-Mobile logo can be spread across the stand. Is that really much worse than Red Bull being plastered all over RB Leipzig's stadium? I'm not entirely sure. But obviously, I come from this from a very different point of view. I'm not German. I didn't grow up in Germany. I didn't grow up going to football games in the Yellow Wall at the Westfalen Stadion. So I think at the end of the day, it's just important to, to appreciate everyone's point of view in these things and not to really impose your own on how people should think about German football. I think you make an excellent point there. I think the, the one thing that I really wanted to, to say is that it's sometimes really interesting how certain segments, and I'm not wanting to say everyone, but certain segments of the English-speaking media that covers German football and I, I love to use this term Britsplaining. Like it's an Anglophone telling someone who lives as an expat in that country how that person has to live in that country. Um, I've been multiple times to places like Berlin, right? And I, I grew up in I grew up in Munich. I'm very much Bavarian, um, and been multiple times to places like Berlin because my sister used to live there. And being explained by Americans and Brits how I'm as a German supposed to feel living in my country. And I always find that very intriguing. And I very often see that about football as well, right? Like, how am I uh, supposed to feel about the football in my country, um, having grown up as someone who supported um, a club, 1860, in the stands, in the North Kurve, right? And, like, going to those games and, um, you know, very much being part of that culture. And I find it interesting how I'm... Um, some people think they can explain this game to the rest of the world without actually having ever lived that. Hmm. Um, and then actually take it one step further and explain to Germans how they're supposed to feel about their football. <laughs> and, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, the thing is, it's, it's, there is no black and white here. It's multifaceted. And there's many people with very many different opinions. And there is a large segment of fans that, you know, don't go to the ultra sections and are not part of these 100 200 300 people hardcore ultras you know like i say this many times their representation is very small um and that have a multitude of views and some of them might actually just not even care about rb leipzig being there hmm. or winning the you know the europa league or the german cup um they don't want to be part of that debate they just want to watch football yeah i think, that's I think a... this is I think that's a very good point, actually. And that's something that goes well beyond German football. It's You see that at a number of clubs, especially in the UK, where they do have a very hardcore section of supporters who sit in a specific part of the stand or the stadium, and they make messages and they make political points week in, week out, and they just assume that the larger fan base agrees with them. And more often than not, they don't. You well, know? yeah, of course, because they're given a bubble of 300 people. That feels like a lot of people, but... You know, when you then put these 300 people in the context of 65,000 people in a stadium, all of a sudden that's not a lot. Yeah, I think I think, there's, I think my only other thing I'd maybe add to this is that like, I'm always very wary of when people spout exceptionalism. And, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, within politics, you get 
you know, maybe certainly from a from a British point of view, you get a lot of people who spout British and ex- exceptionalism. And what I mean by that is people who claim that the UK, you know, well, Brexit's a perfectly good example of this, where people believed in British exceptionalism and that everything would be fine because we were just being held down by the shackles of the EU, blah, blah, blah. And even in my own life as well, when I've lived in parts of America as well and worked for a lot of Americans, you come across a lot of American exceptionalism as well, where people from that country are very reluctant to accept their own faults. And and I'm, I'm really not just pointing out America here. You, you get it across the world, UK, England, uh, UK, America, France, even here in my little corner of the world, Scotland, you get a huge amount of Scottish exceptionalism where people will routinely blame their problems on everyone, every other country, particularly England when it comes to Scotland, uh, and they're not really willing to accept criticism of themselves. But it also exists within football as well. And, you know, I think German football has something so special in its fan culture. And just for the record, I'm certainly not a fan of the idea of abolishing 50 plus one. I'm not entirely sure whether it would help or not. But I think it's always wary to, I think it's always worth being wary of people who, who, who do spout German football exceptionalism in certain regards, you know, in terms of fan culture and in regards to, you know, uh, youth development and coaching. And, you know, I've said on this show a number of times this season about how I'm a bit wary of how single-minded German football is with its coaching and its management and the tactics it uses. And everyone's singing from the one hymn sheet. So it means that there's not really a huge variety of coaching that's coming through at the minute. And anyway, that's a discussion for another time. But I think it also applies to the way that German football likes to try and promote itself as being this place for fan culture and being this place for youth football. And it means it means that the, 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 the things that um, contradict that are overlooked because we've seen very recently at Bayern Munich that you know, if fans are upset about things, there's actually so far they can go because Bayern Munich adhere to 50 plus one, but the fans have been campaigning for years now for Bayern to drop their their their, their um, sponsorship deal with Qatari Airlines and it hasn't happened. And there's a number of things that Bayern have done and it's not just Bayern, there's a number of clubs. Dortmund do the same thing. You know, that Puma... Champions League strip, something that stands out to me. Uh, that's obviously not a huge deal, but it's just a little thing. You know, these clubs still go against their fans, um, even though the fans do have a larger degree of power uh, than they maybe do in other countries. So let's not pretend that everything's perfect in terms of fan culture here and, ha- and everything has to be preserved and everything uh, is without fault. Because I think, I think when you start going down those roads and when you start tumbling down those rabbit holes on, 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 the, on the internet, you get stuck in these bubbles uh, and it gets in the way of really good, honest debate about German football, which I think as is probably at a reflection point right now. Um, yeah. Because, you know, as I said to this person who works for this Bundesliga club, I said, well, you know, it's all well and good moaning about RB Leipzig, but unless someone else comes up with a solution, I'm not entirely sure the Bundesliga is going to be around as it is right now in the next 10 years. Yeah, and, you know, I go back and forward about this all the time. I've been a proponent of 50 plus one. I have been against it. I I, I waver quite a bit on this question. And um, and I do think that, and I think you're quite right, I think there is a reflection point right now where we have to make a decision on what we want this, this league to look like. Um, I don't think 
and this is this is I think where the core of this debate is is Freiburg against Leipzig and potentially Frankfurt against uh, Leipzig in the Europa League is is not some is not some class struggle. You know, this is not going to determine the, the future of this league and whether we have to abolish fifty plus one or not. Um, it is going to add debating points to it. You know, one day maybe Leipzig will win the title in the, in the German Championship. Uh, and we will have this debate again, but in the end of the day, I I think fifty plus one is a wonderful construct, and I don't think it's a, the root problem of of German football necessarily. But I do think there is certain certain things that come with fifty plus one that that causes problem. Um, you know, like large membership base, and I have I've talked to sporting directors that have run large membership clubs uh, are very difficult to operate. Because politics becomes almost more important than the success of the club. Schalke is, a, Schalke is a very good example. I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt, for all of the success that they're having this year in the Europa League, they're also a club that um, internally had a huge amount of problems. Um, you know, the news today, of course, were that, that with Adi Hütter and Freddy Bobic, right, that the club is trying to find a way to uh, reconcile, right? Um, because of things that happened behind closed doors, and like that—that that is a huge baggage that comes with these clubs. Clubs are extremely difficult to operate. Whereas with Leipzig, it's it's shorter paths because you only have 17, 18, or nineteen, or however many members it is. But on the other hand, you have Bayern Munich, right, which is also a very large construct with with the largest membership club in in the world. Uh, and yet they still managed to to operate a, a extremely well. So I actually I do think that fifty plus one is a good thing. But I also do think that if not operated the right way, and I think most clubs with these large membership, with with enormous amount of members, have a lot of issues. And I think this is sort of where the the center of the debate needs to get to. We have to take fifty plus one, take a look at it, and say, okay, well, it comes with a lot of benefits. But maybe the construct itself needs to be reformed as well. And I think, in the end of the day, this game, these two games, or maybe just one game, depending on what happens on Thursday, because there is two really big Europa League games. You know, the history could be made by two German teams going to the final. I mean, we are, that's going completely under in this debate. Um, but these two games are not going to be a turning point in German history, and are not going to be some class struggle between fifty plus one and not fifty plus one. Yeah, exactly. It's a really interesting point in terms of, you know, which clubs do want it, which clubs don't, which fan bases are demanding and which fan bases could take or leave it. Um, but, I, you know, I'm also kind of just wary of the fact that I think it's also sometimes just used as a distraction. Um, you know, if you want, we could sit here all day and talk about the problems that German football has to face up to, the problems that it has coming over the hill that it's ill-equipped to deal with. Um and what could go seriously wrong if major changes aren't made to the way that the league is promoted, broadcasted, uh, and ultimately how it performs in competitions like the Champions League. Um, and I think people just kind of going on Twitter and making huge rants about the importance of 50 plus one seems a little distracting, maybe not on purpose, but it, it seems besides the point because no one's really seriously discussing the idea of abolishing it you know there's not it's not as if it's going to the you know the german parliament or you know the dfb or dfb dfl or opened up a 
inquiry into whether it works or not. No one's really pushing for it to be abolished outside of Hanover. Quite the opposite. Yeah. Opposite so actually is true because they, they, when the, when the Katal office has decided that they 50 plus one um, in principle was okay. The league made a very big point The DFL office in, in Frankfurt made a very big point that they want to preserve it. Yeah, exactly. So why, why is everyone getting so angsty about it? Is it because they resent Leipzig's success or is it because they think that it's the only thing that's keeping German football together? I think it's probably the the, the former, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't think there's anyone really genuinely questioning 50 plus one. No one's really looking to abolish it. RB Leipzig certainly aren't pushing to abolish it as far as I can tell. In fact, the only club that I can see, I think the biggest club, the biggest threat to 50 plus one, if I'm being completely honest with you, is Bayern Munich. I just wanted to say Bayern Munich, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> they're the one club who are probably looking around thinking, right, if we don't fix this sinking ship, we're going to have to get off it. Um, and, you know, if you kind of read between the lines of what their top wigs have been saying in recent years, they've definitely watered down their support for it. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's an interesting one. Um, it's Bayern Munich, of course, they, they have been a club that has been has been pushing for a few things. Um, obviously, there is, there is the whole idea of 50 plus one. They, they, I think they just want competition in the league. Uh, they themselves know that winning title after title after title makes it hard for them to sell the league as, an, as a product internationally. And um, at the end of the day, this is something that, that, that they want to do. I know that the individual fans of all the different Bundesliga teams care very little um, whether the whether the league does well in America or in the UK, but Bayern Munich do. And I think this is why they're so adamant of pushing things like abolishing 50 plus one, but also, you know, the, the playoff system, which I actually think is a great idea. But, um, mm. you know, overall, I think this is where Bayern Munich are concerned. They, they want to sell um, the league in America so they can make more money. And for the only way to sell this league in, in America is by having a title race and having more clubs push in Europe, which in fairness, we actually had this year. You know, if, if we have an all German Europa League final, that will go a long way of selling this league. We pointed this out last week, right? Um, and I think this is really where they're coming from. They want to sell this product because it helps them, um, which is kind of a paradox because they are also hurting this product the most by keeping winning titles over and over and over again. But I think it's an endless debate. I think it's it's a fascinating debate, but I, I still really think that, you know, this Europa League, at, at the end of the day, on Thursday, we're going to have two very fascinating games. It's possible that we have an all-German final, which we if we have an all-German final, and I pointed this out a number of times, would mean that a German club will win, a German club not named Bayern will win an international trophy for the first time since 1997. And that's important. You know, this is that's a really, really important thing for this league and for German football overall. That that's, this happens. I think people don't underestimate how big of an impact that would have on bringing to to advancing uh, this league in foreign markets if Leipzig or Frankfurt win it. And I actually think this this backdrop that we now have turned Frankfurt against Leipzig. Uh, into this class struggle. And yes, there are two very different clubs and Frankfurt, and I want to stress this as much as I can, probably have the f best fan base in Europe. But in the end of the day, for the league and for people here in America who want to be bought into this league, they care very little 
whether it's Frankfurt or Leipzig. They just want to want to be captured by a league that that develops teams that can win internationally. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just hope let's just hope that um, Frankfurt win the Europa League and Freiburg get into the top four, or else Twitter might explode. Yeah, although <laughs> that'd be a good storyline. <laughs> Elon Musk pulls out of Twitter sale or Twitter buy after RB Leipzig make clean sweep of trophies. Uh, Elon Musk will probably go on and try to find a way to buy the Bundesliga. This is, and then go f- try to fix it himself because that's usually how he operates. But we're way off topic now. Um, I think this has been an interesting debate. I think this is a debate that can probably go on forever. And I said it's it's a difficult debate, and I think it's a nuanced debate. And I think this is really my final takeaway from it. This is not black and white, Stefan. You know, fifty plus one. 450 people who are 450 plus one are not necessarily for how 50 plus one is right now. And people who are against 50 plus one don't want to completely abolish it necessarily. Of course, there is extremes in those camps, but it's like it's not uh, a black and white debate at all. Exactly. But unfortunately, social media turns everything into a black and white debate, whether it's football or politics or religion or whichever else. So. I think it's just important to end this podcast on a positive note and to say, you know, go outside, get some fresh air, get some perspective and give someone a hug. Yeah. (laughs) And less than 10% of the world's population is on Twitter. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, this has been great, Stefan. Uh, We'll be back with our our regular preseason part. I'll be in an environment that makes it a bit easier to record. I know these last few episodes I've been on the road, uh, so I apologize for quality quality issues and all that. Um, this show is always brought to you by Bet Online. We'll be back later this week with our prediction podcast. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.